0: Welcome to Desire and Brethren Podcast. I am Tanner Hawks.
1: I'm Jackson O'Brien.
0: And unfortunately today, (laughs) Dave has fled the country. He's gone over the border. We know Dave. He's a diehard trumpeter. Decided life there was better. And we've forgotten him. He's gone. And we have replaced him with a far better option. Mm. Not our first Dutch guest... Actually, very far from our first Dutch guest, but today we have our first Bible school professor who is going to introduce herself. Hi,
2: this is Ellie Krogman. Yay!
0: Welcome, welcome
1: to the podcast, a Ellie.
0: A lot of pressure, put a lot of pressure on her. Um, so, some of us know Ellie better as Ellie do, who was Jackson and I's Bible school professor at Mount Carmel Bible School possibly was your first year of being a professor is that right yes sir. okay tell us how that was
2: very scary yeah that was my year right after regent and so just oh, learning to okay not just listen but how to talk it was all very scary so hmm. um yeah i was there for that year and 5 years after that so and now we're here in vancouver
0: so ellie is uh, a lot of, she wears a lot of hats It's interesting because it's like seeing your teacher outside of school in, like, the grocery store. You're like, who are you? You're a human being? (laughs) Ellie is Mm. a human being, actually, in fact. (laughs) And went to Regent, where her husband is right now. He's a year ahead of me. So she graduated there. She went to Mount Carmel for six years. She then youth pastored for a while. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. recently is done that because she is a new mom. And... Tell us about your baby.
2: Okay. Her name is Alice, and she is on the top of the charts. She's in the 100th percentile for all the things. <laughs> so she is very large and loves smiling and mm. is really good at um, giggling. So she's just great. Those are Alice super free.
1: important categories for the percentile scheme. Smiles a lot. Super giggly. Yeah. Those are so hot. Those are so good.
2: Yeah, Really proud. Super proud.
0: She's great. She was smiling at me, but man, she is a, she is a round mound. (laughs) She is, she's something else. She's so cute. Um, (laughs) I hope she listens to this. Ellie is low on sleep, but is also more intelligent than the rest of us. So this should go well. Mm -hmm. She should kind of balance out somehow. Uh, This week we're talking about the Billy Graham rule. His old rule is coming back. Because, well, first of all, let's talk about it—the Billy Graham Rule. Jackson, why don't you explain the Billy Graham Rule to those who have never heard of it?
1: Right. The, as I understand it, the Billy Graham Rule is that uh, this evangelist has prohibited himself from having alone, like meetings, usually eating, but like meetings with people of the opposite gender, and so Billy Graham, unless it's his wife.
0: So the context of that, you're right, Jackson, is in 1948, Billy Graham was a young traveling preacher where there was a lot of exploitation of that role and it was starting to get a bad name. People would get a bunch of money off of an offering, would exploit Mm. people spiritually, and would cheat on their wives on every stop of the way kind of thing. So Mm. him and his friends made four rules that they lived by. The most famous is let's avoid sexual accusations, immorality, let's make a hard rule. We're never going to meet alone with a woman. And then the other ones were about money and how they collected money and about accountability with numbers and reporting accurately. Oh, right. Yeah. And I think there was one about not criticizing other churches. Those are the four rules. And these rules have like, especially the Billy Graham rule, the sexual immorality have become really popular among evangelical Protestants. I would say probably m- most pastors I've met follow some version of this rule. Hmm. Probably a lot of elders, deacons, businessmen, policemen, not just men, but probably mostly men follow this rule. Have you guys ever heard of it before this week?
2: No, I, I hadn't heard of it. I think huh. when uh, it was explained by you, Tanner, and just some of the things that you were talking about um, it makes sense and I can I can see that it um it happens, but it's just not something that I had ever you know, the name had never been put to to it. So yeah.
1: I heard about it. My mom told me about it at first and she went over it like it was an extremely noble thing and that hmm. it was basically biblical. Hmm. And truthfully I've like I'm not married like you two, but I've when I in my dating relationships I've been really conscious of that. And it's shaped a lot of how I interact with other girls when I'm with, when I am dating someone, which is might be a really weird thing, but
0: it does. It, it doesn't seem that crazy. I also like learned about this for while well, from a pastor, maybe at Westlock gospel chapel, just talking about mm-hmm. how pure and like awesome Billy Graham was and really loved this. Like just thought mm-hmm. this is brilliant. And they talked about, You know, when Billy Graham would go to a hotel room, he'd have someone check and make sure that the TVs didn't have the adult channels and stuff, because that's a temptation for people Mm -hmm. on the road. And like, he just really made sure to keep his marriage sacred and thought like, that is just incredible. Mm. So have so much respect for him and have heard it talked very highly of, and then yeah, so so knew about that from a young age. Didn't know it was called that, but the Billy Graham rule, and haven't really questioned it until this week. Mm. Where the reason it's in the news is the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, is an evangelical Christian, and he, in 2002, they did a there was an interview about his wife, Karen Pence, where he said, "I follow." He didn't call it the Billy Graham rule, but he said, "I don't." meet alone with other females aside from my wife. I don't eat with them alone. And also I don't go to events where there's alcohol unless my wife is with me. So that happened in 2002. It was kind of dug up last week in an article and people exploded. Like, and this was like a perfect example of the left and right, each having something that they could just rip each other's throats out with. So the left said right away, this is horrible. This is discrimination against women. Um, your, your female staff would not have the same access to you as your male staff. Huh, yeah. This is also perverse, that he's not able to control himself. This is an example <laughs> of rape culture. This is, uh, it objectifies women. And so only bad things. And then the right said, this is the greatest thing in the world. And anyone who's against it obviously wants to cheat on their wife and look at Democrats, Bill Clinton cheated on his wife. So Democrats are dumb. And it's just everything that this is a good thing because this is a very normal thing among evangelical Christians Mm. where they were surprised that it was attacked. So I don't want to talk about that political scandal. I don't think it's very helpful. And honestly, a lot of the arguments that have happened this week have been very unhelpful because they're by people who, are refusing to talk to each other or talk to the other side because there's uh, political momentum at stake. So mm-hmm. I would love if we have a real conversation about this, like as Christians, I think we should be able to in humility, reevaluate our practices and say, is what I'm doing hurting other people? Or is this a wise way of protecting a marriage? So with all that in mind, Jack, give some examples of what this fleshed this out. What would this rule look like in our churches, in our lives?
1: From what I can tell from the leaders, like this is just standard policy, as you said, like it just makes sense to them. And I, I don't know how it would look if you're working in the kitchen and you end up in the same room as a woman and you're like, oh, okay. Does the rule apply here right now? or
0: you, you make like Joseph. You leave your coat and you get out of there because <laughs> she'll ch- jump on you, man. You got to watch They're those – the women. <laughs> <Those> women. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean practically this looks just like uh, – for some people it just looks like it's always in public and for some people it looks like uh, I'm going to invite my wife along if we have a conversation or I'm going to make sure if it's employees, I'm going to make sure it's a group meeting rather than a one-on-one meeting if it's, uh, I don't do mem- mentorship of the opposite sex. Or, uh, like, there's there's just a bunch of little ways. Uh, one thing that David pointed out is that there's police officers who request not to have female partners, male police officers, because mm. it's such a close relationship that for a lot of police officers, like they spend more time with their partner than their wife. Mm -hmm. And if that were a woman, then you might build emotional intimacy, start sharing your problems more with that person. And then that might not be a great thing for your marriage. And so there are just a ton of ways this is done. Ellie, have you ever done a version of this rule in your own marriage? Have you been affected by this rule? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, I, um, I've been thinking over the last few days just to, in the situation. So I've, I've had six years at Mount Carmel and um, mm. a year and a little bit at First Baptist Church here. And it's never really come up as a thing that has to be stated or something that I have to tell other people. And for the most part, my male coworkers that I've had beside me have never um, told me, have never said, I actually don't do this. I don't um, go for coffee with mm. someone alone. And actually, the only time that I have encountered it was I was mentoring a student this past year and he was male. And he said, can we please meet somewhere in a public space? So we never had our meetings in private. Mm. So we always met at a coffee shop or in the atrium at Regent. So it's never been yeah something that I've, I've had to really wrestle with. Jeff?
1: I don't think that I follow the Billy Graham rule, but I've used it. To start out in relationships that I've had, when I think about, or like there's this girl that needs a ride home and I'm dating someone, I will text or call the person that I'm dating and say, hey, this is a thing. Are you okay with it? Are you not okay with it? But then like when they say, yeah, I'm okay with it, then I take them home and don't follow the rule. I don't know what that means then. That means like that I'm a bad evangelical. I don't know.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I mean the rule, when we say rule, I mean this is everybody's personal conviction, whether they're following it. It's just that there are a lot of... Christians in our circles who are, or some variation of it, right? Hmm. Is it legitimate to put rules on your marriage or guardrails is what some people call them, like do you have guardrails on your marriage, or is it more about the inner virtue of being the kind of person who doesn't you know cheat or do anything like that, or is there is there actual things that you guys have in place?
2: Um, yeah, I was talking with Aaron about this. This morning, and Aaron's my husband, and we were trying to yeah discover if we have a rule or not. And I think by asking that question, we probably don't. <laughs> and I think for myself, I was telling Aaron like I don't feel super comfortable say if I was that police person and um, I was my partner was a male, like spending that much time with someone, um, I would be uncomfortable with that. Just mm-hmm. and maybe that's a personality thing. Maybe that that's just who I am. But I would have a hard time with that. But I don't have a difficult time you know, with, you know, that mentoring in a public space. But for me, the rule, it seems like it, it stems from this suspicion and, Mm. and um, mistrust. So to me, I would, if Aaron were to say, okay, you're not going to meet with anyone one-on-one, then I would have a a pretty hard time with that. But for Aaron, he was saying that this virtue, this idea of, of just being virtuous enough to maintain a distance he finds that a rule is a way to to foster that virtue and so for mm-hmm. him it's something that he he d- he doesn't want to be one-on-one with another woman mm-hmm. um, just because he's had some experiences that for his personality too he's a like pretty emotional person and and he opens up really easily and so there's been some some tricky situations mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for him i think maybe because it's um, and he, he said that I could say that. So, <laughs> But but for him, he needs something where it's like, I, I fall back on this default and it's because I want to become a person of character and maintain that virtue. So that's kind of us. We don't have a strict rule, but I guess it, it is there without us really having to talk about it.
1: Do you have one, Tanner?
0: I think rules are important in marriage. I think that's great. As long as they're obviously mutual. Like my parents had a rule that No, none of us kids were ever allowed to sit between mom and dad ever Uh, in the car. Mom was always in the middle seat at church. We were always on the sides and like we always tried to get in the middle and they would just like throw us away, (laughs) you know, because it was like this symbolic thing that like no marriages before kids. And I look at that and I just like, I want to do that. That's brilliant. That's the wisdom of our elders. Like, and Mm. in some ways I look at the Billy Graham rule and go like, this is wise. These people have dealt with this stuff like they know humans. So I should follow this kind of stuff. At the same time, I probably would fall back more on like more of a principle of, of honesty of like for me, there was one time a couple years ago where, yeah, I started becoming like really like enjoying conversation with another girl. And like, this is so awesome. And then being like, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm attracted to this person. And then having to go to Ivy, be honest, and then we talked about it, and it was good. So if a rule had been there, that wouldn't have happened, I guess. At the same time, I mean, how many relationships with girls I'm not attracted to would I not have? Oh, that's so tricky.
2: It's just like to find the happy medium with between not being too naive about yes we are Mm. sexual beings and there is attraction and there's like we're built for relationship and all this stuff like that that we are built to love others and um so that's just a reality of our situation um but on the other side where it's just totally fear-based and and you're suspicious of everyone that that women are just kind of um, seductresses that are out to get you or or men on the other on the other hand that And, Hmm. um, like, I just feel like there's, there's a happy medium, but you know, I think an article that, that you sent as well, that I was reading, if you're driving down the street and it's Mm. raining and then there's a woman with this guy in the car and he's driving by a coworker who doesn't have an umbrella, she's on the side of the road. And he said, well, I'm that because of the rule, I'm not going to pick her up. And to me, Mm. that just seems, I mean, that's one instance where I think the rule has totally failed to love others.
1: It sort of just seems pharisaic. Like, my rule and my morality are more important than the well-being
0: of another. Well, but I mean, I'm sure this person would say, like, man, if the person was in trouble, like, I'd give them mouth-to-mouth even though I'd have to kiss a girl. Like, it's not like, I'm not convinced these people are total pharisees. These are people who are just saying, like... I don't I don't want a hint of this. I don't want people to ask questions or be like, "Hmm, saw you driving them home. Right, it's
1: because it's because their morality is more important than helping the other person, isn't that the case?"
0: Maybe. I mean, there's people who pointed out like, "Well, Jesus didn't follow the Billy Graham rule cuz like no <laughs> he way. talked to women at the well when it was like not supposed to happen, 101." And... Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of talked about the the heart of the Billy Graham rule, which is about marriage, but the, the practical aspects on the people around us, if people in our church are following this, if pastors, if Bible school professors, question for Ellie. Do you think the Billy Graham rule turns women into sexual objects? Because this was an argument that was in some of the articles that it means you're treating every woman as a potential sexual partner that you need to avoid. Mm. And it creates fear between a whole gender. Do you think that's true, or w- I don't know?
2: Yeah, I I think it. The rule can be applied a lot of different ways. For at, when I was working at First Baptist, there was a like um, a plan to protect policy yeah. that was in place, and that said that you can never be in yeah a vehicle with another gender. Um, and to me, that just seemed to to protect the other person. Um.
0: But I so when it's a non-human policy, it seems okay, right? Like it's like, well, the church is just saying that. No one person is saying that. But I'm saying your pastor, you want to have a one-on-one meeting to talk about theology or some issue you're having. It, I'm assuming I don't know if your pastor is a man, but if it is, and then you and they say, sorry, I I can't, I can't meet with you. I don't be with women alone. Does that objectify you?
2: My initial gut reaction is yes like I would feel Hmm. like there was some injustice because I wasn't I wasn't able to like that I was kind of barred because of my gender Um, and if he was meeting with other men in private but not women then that would really I would be really upset about Hmm. that if he was saying I don't meet with anyone in 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 private like one-on-one then I would say okay great
0: yeah, that that that's such the hard part of the rule is it's so blanket of of a gender that and, and I think there are some pastors and some politicians especially because this was a political scandal that came out. Scandal and air quotes. Um <laughs> It's the
1: opposite of a scandal.
0: Right, right. I just don't meet with either gender. Right. And like that's sort of mm. Mike Pence's situation. He says, like, I I just almost never go to meals with either gender because I go home to my wife, which is like, good on you, <laughs> you know. But when I do think, honestly, probably the people I know who follow this rule is not an equal thing. They would be willing to meet with me if I asked them, but they would not be able to meet with Ellie, right? Mm. In a work context, in a in a church context, in a Bible school context, is this discrimination against a gender like are we are we not treating both genders equally are we not giving them the same dignity i don't know jack what do you think
1: i know i would be for the amount that i love talking about theology i would be totally chapped if a pastor was meeting with other people to talk about it and said no i don't want to meet with you because you were born differently than i was
2: well yeah and to me i i think that if there was any, you know, I can understand if they don't want to meet in in private, but if they wouldn't even want to meet with me in public, one on one, which I think is a very different thing, that would not be right, and and I would have to, I'd want to approach that that person to say, I don't think this is fair and just.
0: Right, yeah, where like a lot of pastors might say, well, I I can meet with men and women just as long as it's in public, where that would make a little bit more sense. I I'm struggling with this partly because. I do think it would shortchange you as a woman. If, you, if you're a congregation member who likes theology, so you start meeting with your pastor over a beer or over a coffee and just talking about theology, and you realize, like, this is something I love. And that's, these are the kind of interactions that eventually make people become pastors is because they meet with their pastor and they realize, like, wow, this this fits mm. me. And if if a woman's never able to have that interaction that like they'll just never learn that that's what they want to do. Like these are what we're talking about when we talk about systemic barriers to becoming a Bible school professor, you know, where if, if I'm at Carmel and I look at Ellie when she was there and um, she led the service component, the impact program. And I thought like, man, that just clicks with me. I want, mentorship from ellie on how to get that position and if i were not allowed to because i was a man because she held this rule and she was like oh but there's other professors that are your gender that you could i'd be like "Nah, it's not the same thing like the pastors who say oh well you can meet with my wife it's like well i'm just not sure that's the same thing i'm sorry like so i'm just struggling do you think how do we think through this yeah
2: I think every—I've never had an opportunity. I've never not had an opportunity to meet with someone who is in leadership who is male. I've never been kind of shut down and shut away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, like I think (laughs) I'd probably Mm. have yeah different opinions and like if that had happened. I. This is not necessarily asking the question, but I wonder what the correlation between men who are in leadership positions, I'd say, within the church if they hold to this real very strongly and what the, if they actually think that women have a role in leadership, like what that that Mm -hmm. correlation is, Mm -hmm. because I would, I would say that if there's someone who's not really allowing that relationship, that correspondence, maybe doesn't even think that women should hold that position.
0: Right. So if you're Mm -hmm. somebody who's the, who's believes strongly that women, should not be in church leadership that's what the bible says then it wouldn't seem like an issue that you're not giving them the access to become a pastor Mm -hmm. or a bible school professor yeah is that sort of what you're saying that's
2: right yeah and i'd just be curious to know what sort of correlation that that has but
0: um. okay jack and ellie and me we're going to answer real quick because i think this is also part of it is the the accusation sense where a lot of pastors say this is all great i'd love to be equal and this all sounds good in theory, but in practice, if I met with a woman, I'd get accused or something would happen. I'd get run out of town like because other people are following this rule. Other people think this is very important so because this is sort of where I'm at, where I go, I don't think it's a great – rule. I think the rule does a bit more harm than it does good. I would do some lesser variation of it. Maybe I would only meet in public. I don't know. But hmm. if I were to – reject this rule i feel like i would get accused or something not by the woman but by like the congregation do you know what i mean do you think like as a congregation member jack if your pastor what you knew was meeting in private with women in the church to help them through issues that would be okay with you
1: brethrenly i would be suspect towards it you know okay uh (laughs) and so i think that like I don't know what that would make me think. I would just wonder why. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to help but judge it. I, I don't have the capacity not to because, within, like, that's why I said brethrenly. Like, within my context, that doesn't click in my head that that's a normal thing. No, I know that I would start judging because it just, and that's probably a problem. But
2: I think that um, I just, I'd really want to know if they have like a bunch of people around them who are holding them accountable Mm. for what they're doing. Yeah. There's a situation that Aaron and I know of in central Alberta where it went very, very badly like and destroyed a a community. And, um, Mm. and, and I, I wonder if there had been just a little bit more accountability, not necessarily a rule that says you can't do this, but just people around them that, that know what's going on, know the calendar, um, and Mm. even know some of, I mean, some of what's being talked about, and and are saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't be talking about these things. So just keeping just keeping some of those guardrails intact for for those conversations, um, allowing them, but but having yeah, tons of accountability around them. I think there's there's like it's not either can't be either or.
0: That's a good way of saying it, Ellie, because we all do know marriages that have that leaders or elders or deacons or whatever or whoever. That this has happened to them because maybe they didn't have these rules. There's a part of me that goes, if you're going to cheat on someone, like, I'm not sure this rule is going to stop you. There's part of me who goes, no, huh. maybe it yeah. would stop you. I don't know. Like, a good example would be like Billy Graham's grandson just got, you know, taken out of his mega church because he had multiple affairs. Like, we're all very fallen people. Mm-hmm. These things can happen. So... I think it's good we're discussing it. I think it's good that we're listening to the wisdom of earlier generations, but I hope that people are challenged by this conversation about how does this rule look and is it hurting people? Is you know, yeah, that we all think through this, I think is the best part. Hmm. Uh I'm going to transition into a game show. Of course. What? It has been, like, more than a month since I've done a game show, so I'm so excited. But I'm yeah, a little rusty. Sure, this might follow through. Uh, right. We said earlier in this podcast that Billy Graham had three other rules. Well, I have actually discovered many other of Billy Graham's rules. Hmm. Uh, he, he's actually known for many, and they span all of culture, uh, every realm of life, his rules. So the lesser-known Billy Graham rules, I'm going to quiz you guys on. Ellie versus Jackson. Are you ready?
1: You should know, Ellie. I'm sort of the champion on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Jackson's a champion. Nine and one. It's pretty ridiculous. He's
0: taking off the belt. He's putting it beside him for the match. <laughs> and uh, he he believes that he'll retake it. Okay. Challenge gladly accepted, yes.
2: Okay. I did not sign up for a game show when I, when I <laughs> said, yeah. so here we People go. People never
1: do sign up for game shows. That's <laughs> I guess. the beauty of it. Oh, okay.
0: All right, question one. Billy Graham is widely known for his huge love of the UK pop band Spice Girls, frequently taking life advice, guidelines, and rules from their smash hits. According to their hit single, Wannabe... If you want to be Billy Graham's lover, what is the one rule you have to follow?
2: He has got to get with my friends. (laughs) That's right.
0: If you want to be Billy Graham's lover, you got to get with his friends. (laughs) Okay, Ellie is up by one. All right, Jackson. Most of us know Billy Graham's first rule of Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. But there are actually eight in total. What is the second rule Billy Graham created of Fight Club? Is it A, if someone goes limp, the fight is over? Is it B, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight? Or is it C, do not talk about Fight Club?
1: I think it's the second, Tanner.
0: No, you are wrong.
1: (laughs) Crap. He can't say you don't talk about Fight Club seven times
0: in a row. You don't no, do you that. say it twice in a row. The first two rules are you do not talk about Fight Club.
1: Well, like, what are the other eight going to be? There's no more rules in Fight Club.
0: All right. Uh, Ellie is ahead. Here <sighs> we go. Number three, Ellie can take a commanding lead. This lesser-known cricket rule, named in honor of Billy Graham, starts this way. The wicket-keeper shall not take the ball for the purpose of stumping until it shall have passed the wicket. He shall not move until the ball be out of the bowler's hand. He shall not by any noise incommode the striker. If any part of his person be over or above the wicket, although the ball hit, what shall happen to the striker? (laughs) (laughs) Um... You got this. It's lesser known, though. So. Okay,
2: this – what shall happen to the striker? The striker shall um, – I didn't follow any of that, so I'm just going to say the striker shall die. That's, that's.
0: <laughs> Close but Close. wrong. <laughs> the striker will not be out if all the following occurred. But that's fair. I, I could have asked you an easier cricket question, but, you know, that was a toughie. Really well all right. One. All right, Jackson. Uh-huh. Billy Graham was famous for not following the more well-known Ten Commandments, but only adhering to the lesser-known Ten. So laid Mm -hmm. out in Exodus 34 rather than Exodus 20. When Moses comes back down the mountain with the Second Commandments, the ones Billy Graham follows, what is the Tenth Commandment? Do you want me to give you options? I like that a lot. (laughs) A, these are all part of the Ten, but one is the Tenth. A celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. B do not offer blood with yeast in a sacrifice. Or C, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk.
1: I don't know what's happening right now. Let's go with <laughs> Let's go with B again.
0: Oh, it was C. Ellie made the symbol. She was definitely right. She knows her lesser known ten. <laughs> Ellie, you can take the commanding lead again. Number five. What famous rule is Billy Graham rumored to have tattooed on his lower back? Is it A, you got to fight for your right to party? B, dance like no one's watching, love like you'll never get hurt? Or is it C, to thine own self be true?
2: (laughs) Um, It's terrifying thinking of any of those. Um, C. I might say C, though.
0: I'm sorry. The rumor that I started when I made this question is B. Dance like no one's watching. Love like you'll never get hurt. All right, Jackson. You can tie it with this question. Mrs. Frizzle on the Magic School Bus was actually sued by Billy Graham for stealing her trademark rules uh, from an altar call he gave in 1963. The case was settled for an undisclosed sum. What are Miss Frizzle's rules that she took from Billy Graham?
1: Uh, Seatbelts, everyone.
0: You didn't watch it growing up, or what? Miss <laughs> Frizzle has rules. Take chances, make mistakes. Make mistakes. And Shoot. what's the third one, Jack? Put your seatbelts on. No, I said I it already. Get messy. Oh, I can't okay. believe you don't know that. Ellie wins I don't know the how game. this game works <laughs> right nine. now. What are we guessing on? <laughs> one nothing. Ellie knows Billy Graham's lesser rules much better than Jackson. <laughs> uh, I think that's it for us. Yes. Belt will go to Ellie in an official ceremony. Uh, it will be in the mail. All right, Ellie, we're going to have you back for a second episode in about five minutes. <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this one, and thank you for giving your – Bible School Professor Wisdom on this issue.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ellie. All right. I am Tanner Hoffs. I'm Jackson O'Brien.
2: And I'm Ellie Krogman.